following resource is from Welford Baptist Church. Well, grab your Bibles, whether they're in printed copy or electronic form, and open them to the book of Exodus chapter 5 for our message against the wind. I encourage you each week to keep your Bibles open in front of you so that you can see for yourself what the Word of God says And that is one way you can match up what I'm saying with the Word of God. So you know it's not just man's opinion, it is coming from the Scriptures. There's a saying that goes, you can't control the wind, but you can adjust your sails. Putting this in spiritual terms, we can't control life's circumstances, the wind, but we can control our attitudes, the sails. We can choose what attitudes we respond with in the midst of life circumstances. In fact, our attitude is one of the main parts of our life over which we have complete control over. And it's one thing that God holds us completely accountable for. Think about it. You will be held accountable for the attitudes you display toward your boss, toward your spouse, your teacher, You're constantly changing circumstances, even the attitude you have toward your enemies. Since that is true, wouldn't it be wise to find out what kind of attitudes God wants us to have in order to follow His plan, His will, and His direction for our lives? In order to find out the the wind of God's will so we can go with it instead of against it. You see, Pharaoh's attitude went against the wind of God's will. Declaring himself to be a descendant of the sun, Pharaoh was basically claiming deity. As such, he refused to acknowledge any other supreme being. No other God greater than himself, lest he be required to submit to that God's higher authority. Well, what did God think of Pharaoh's attitude? Well, We don't have to wonder or we don't have to speculate. God tells us in his word. Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Now that word unrighteousness you see there on the screen describes what sailors would do in purposefully holding their sails to go against the wind instead of going with the wind. That is, those who hold the truth, but they do so in unrighteousness. This means they know the truth, but instead of obeying what they know, they choose to suppress it. They choose to reject it. They choose to openly, defiantly disobey what God is calling them to do. They understand something of the the wind of the Holy Spirit, something of the will of God. But they are determined to set their sails in opposite direction of where God would have them to go. Such a man was Pharaoh. Let it not be us. Here's your first truth to jot down in your notes. I encourage you to write this down. Our big idea. There is value in anything that drives us closer to God. We've all been through tough times. And tough times do not have to be worthless. They can be valuable when we see them driving us closer in our relationship with God. Now value is not 
usually the first thought that enters our mind when we think about trials or suffering or, or pain. We, we think of heartache. We think this is worthless. This is of no value. And yet, that's exactly what hard times can do. They can bring value and worth and purpose into our lives with the lessons they have to teach us. For you, it may have been economic hard times. It may have been hard times with a family member who struggled with an illness or struggled with some kind of uh, strange conflict in their life. For you, it may be hard times that you're going through right now. And you are wondering, what is God trying to teach me? How can I learn to trust him when things are so uncertain and things are, are so out of control? And all of us are going to face hard times in the future. We can count on that. They're inevitable. They, they came to the children of Israel. They came to Pharaoh. And we can learn from these experiences something about our own. Specifically, as we look at Pharaoh's response and his attitude, we can learn how not to respond in difficult times. So let's read Exodus 5. Follow along in your open Bibles, verses 1 through 9. The Bible says, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice, and let Israel go? And I do not know the Lord, and moreover, moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. That same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks, as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of the bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose upon them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer a sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid upon the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to their lying words. Write this down. Even the most faithful people experience hard times. Picture the scene within the royal palace and court of Egypt. There sat the great emperor Pharaoh upon his throne. And there before him stood Moses, a simple shepherd, and Aaron, a slave. Pharaoh was the most powerful man on the planet. The elders of Israel probably were with Moses and Aaron, according to Exodus 3.18. Pharaoh would no doubt have granted an interview with the elders of Israel. Whatever the case, there stood a group of slaves before the king of Egypt. And for what purpose? To demand that he free God's people so they could make a religious pilgrimage to offer sacrifices to their God. Now what you see is that Moses and Aaron were doing exactly what God had called them to do. They were being faithful. God had told them to go to Pharaoh and they went to Pharaoh. God had told them to demand that he let his people go and they commanded that he let God's people go. 
Well, what was Pharaoh's response? Look there in verse 2. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. Revelation is directly linked to obedience. Pharaoh did not know the Lord God solely because he had no intention of obeying a higher power. Do you desire to be obedient to the Lord? If so, God will give you revelation to you and provide direction for which you're to follow. But so good is our God that he will not give further revelation until you respond to the revelation he's already given you. If you're disobedient one revelation, you're not going to follow that. Why would he give you another revelation? You haven't proven to be faithful. He's already told us what we're to do in God's word. And, and we know his will many times, but, but how many times do we fail to do what we already know? Oftentimes people will say, I just don't know what the Lord's plan or what the Lord's will is for me. And oftentimes it's an issue of whether or not we have obeyed the last thing God told us to do. I want to take a little survey this morning, okay? So get ready to raise your hands. How many of you would say that by the end of the day today, you would try to get your inbox of emails down to zero or at least less than a dozen? Would you just raise your hand if you like having your inbox empty, okay? All right, look around. These are Okay, all right, now put those down. How many of you, if you were honest before God and everybody in here this morning, you would say by the end of the day, your email inbox would probably still have over 50 emails in it. Would you just raise your hand? Okay, good. Right, keep them up, keep them up. All right, uh, if you, over a hundred, keep them up, okay? Over a thousand, keep them up, okay? <laughs> I know for a fact some of you have over 14,000 emails in your inbox. Whatever you do with your inbox. Listen, I'm one of the ones that I like to clear my inbox out, okay? But whether you do or not, all of us can agree that sometimes it's hard to keep up with all the emails we're inundated with, right? I mean, we get all kind of promotions, all kind of spam, all kind of junk mail, not to mention all the legitimate emails that we get. And so when we think about that, the Lord is so good to us, he doesn't keep sending us dozens of messages after messages to our spiritual inbox so that they pile up or overflow. No, he gives us one instruction at a time. One assignment, one piece of information, one directive. And then he waits to see if we obey that before he gives us something else to do. That's why he was able to say, my burden is easy and my load is light, Matthew eleven thirty. He gives us one thing to do. He doesn't overwhelm us. When thinking about hard times, you know, it's not just the bad people who experience difficult times, is it? It's the good people as well. Hard times come to good people as much as, as those who are bad. Hardship can come to those who are bad because they've been bad. I mean, they've been disobedient and God is punishing them. And hardship can come to those who are good because they're being good. They're suffering at the hands of evil men who want to punish them. Now think about it. Pharaoh faced hard times because he was wicked. Moses and Aaron faced hard times because they were righteous. Now, if you have to face hard times either way, wouldn't you rather be in the group that's facing hard times because you're, you're following the Lord? 
Wouldn't you rather be the one who's not being disobedient and being obedient? I know that I would. And oftentimes we believe that times are hard because we must have done something wrong. God is punishing us. We're being uh, disciplined. But that's not always the case. I was talking to a friend of mine recently, and he's going through a difficult time. He's been in the hospital, been out of the hospital, and uh, he was sharing with me. He said, Pastor Carl, do you think that I'm being punished? And all that he described to me was nothing that he had done to deserve what he was experiencing. And I remember just sharing with him just recently. I said, you know, I don't think so. I think everybody goes through hard times. And from what you describe, it's not that you're being punished. You just have to look at this hard time to let you uh, allow it to grow you closer to the Lord. Several years ago, I was struggling with my own type of anxiety and worry. I felt really bad about myself and how I'd let my circumstances overwhelm me to the point of negatively affecting my health. And I remember a good friend of mine who was also a pastor, he spoke truth into my life and into my heart. And he told me sometimes hard times come to even the most faithful of God's servants. He prayed with me and that was one of the most helpful things that anybody could have done. Millions of people have found comfort in that old gospel song, It Is Well With My Soul. Since it was written a long time ago, many people know the tragic story behind the composition of that hymn. A story of a man named Horatio Spafford who found the peace of God even in the midst of grief and loss. Most are aware that he wrote this song when he reached a place in the Atlantic Ocean where four of his daughters were washed overboard in a shipwreck and died. Most are aware that he wrote these songs as a response to that tragedy. But what most people don't know is that was not the first disaster to strike Spafford and his wife. Only a short time earlier, they had suffered the loss of a son. And then a few years later, in 1871, the year of the Great Chicago Fire, he had invested heavily in real estate along Lake Michigan, and the fire took out Spafford's holdings, all that he had for financial security. Hard times come to even faithful people. Now, you may face persecution if you stand against the Equality Act, making its way through Congress this week. Now is the time to pray and to speak up against this act and have your voice heard. What is the Equality Act? The Equality Act, which has already passed the House and is making its way through the Senate, says this, it will designate schools, churches, and healthcare organizations as public accommodations. With this, schools, churches, and hospitals can be forced to accept the government's belief and mandates about sexual orientation and gender identity. That would be highly intrusive and incredibly far-reaching. It will threaten everyday speech where people can lose their jobs or not find a job for using the wrong name or pronouns. The Equality Act, listen to this, will allow boys and girls sports, boys and girls locker rooms, men and women's shelters, and men and women's prisons. It will force teachers and students to publicly pretend that a biological male is female. Schools will be encouraged or even mandated to instruct young children that they can choose to be a boy or a girl or neither 
or both making biological sex and science a relic of the past. Now's the time to pray. Now's the time to speak up against the Equality Act because, as Franklin Graham says, it's anything but an Equality Act. And it's not political, it's biblical. Hard times will happen to faithful Christians who stand for the truth of God's Word in the world in which we live today. It's just like it happened in biblical days. Stephen was the first martyr of the church. Do you know why he was martyred? Look at what the Bible says, Acts 6-8. Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. He was stoned to death for doing great wonders and signs among the people. They felt their authority threatened. And in our world today, there will be those in authority who feel their power threatened by Christians who speak up. That's why Facebook is fact-checking posts that they don't agree with. Like my post this past week that was censored. I was fact-checked on Facebook for simply sharing a link to an opinion article in a Wall Street Journal op-ed section. Can you believe that? I mean, how do you fact-check an expert's opinion about anything? It's unbelievable. Well, here's the next truth. My, my blood pressure's getting up. Um, <laughs> hard times tempt us to shift blame to others. Look at verses 3 and 4 again. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three, three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. As I was preparing for the message today, I noticed something humorous in studying this passage. Notice verse 3 sounds a lot like their request in verse 1 with a slight difference. They add the word please here in verse 3. Look there in your Bibles. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. You know, it didn't matter to Pharaoh. They could have knelt down on both knees. They could have put their hands together. They could have pleaded with Pharaoh. Pharaoh, please let our people go. And Pharaoh would not have responded. And you know why? You learned it last week. Because of the hardness of his heart. He sent he set his sails against the wind of God's will. I agree with what Caleb taught last week. God hardened Pharaoh's heart and Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Both are true. Don't make the mistake of falling down on one side or the other. They're equally true. Then the king, notice, tries to shift the blame to Moses and Aaron in verse 4. It's your fault the people are taken away from their work and they're resting. And when Pharaoh increases the Israelites' work, the Israelite foremen come to Moses and Aaron, as we're going to learn next week in verse 20, but you can look down there if you want to. It says, the foreman said, because of you, it's your fault that our burden is being increased. It's your fault that Pharaoh wants us to work it to death. Hard times come to all people, and we usually try to find somebody else to blame. Imagine with me, if you will, for just a moment. Had Pharaoh chosen the path of God's will, what would have happened? What would that have looked like? 
He and his country would not have suffered from the terrible plagues that God sent their way. No locusts, no frogs, no Nile River being turned into blood. Pharaoh would not have lost his firstborn son to death. And Pharaoh and his army would not have been swallowed up by the waters of the Red Sea as the Israelites crossed on dry land. But when Pharaoh and his army tried to cross, God swallowed them up. Now bring this into our world, in your life. Picture in your life when you go against the wind of God's will. What does that look like? Well, you don't have peace. You don't have the confidence of following the Lord, of obeying him, of doing what he's called you to do. Now think about what your life looks like when you obey his will. You have peace, even in the midst of troubled times. Your life is joyful even when you face grief. And your life has meaning and purpose even though others come against you to harm you. Hard times should prompt us to turn to God and trust him. In verses 5 through 9, we clearly see Pharaoh's rejection of God's will. You see, this whole thing to Pharaoh was a ridiculous affront to his position as emperor. It was a misuse of his time and authority. He was sharp, cynical, and severe. And his response shows how much he thought this was a ridiculous request. No doubt his thoughts went something like this. Imagine a group of slaves appearing before me. Demanding I free them to go on some religious journey. Do they take me for a fool? And the audacity trying to strike fear into me of what their God will do. If I don't respond to their ridiculous request. I'll teach them a lesson that they will always remember. A hard time that should have led the king to turn to God. And trust in God instead because of the hardness of his heart led him to disobey God. And to trust himself more than anyone or anything else. Now why did Pharaoh take the request of Moses and Aaron and just throw it out the window? Because he was ignorant of God. He did not know God. There's a world out here today who does not know God. They don't know the Lord that we serve. They don't know the Savior that we worship. They don't know the gospel that we preach. And they will come against us. They know about God, but they refuse to bow down before God because they want to go their own way and have their own pleasures satisfied. Most of us are familiar with Romans 8, 28. The first part says, And we know that those who love God, all things work together for good. But we tend to forget about the second part of verse 28 and the rest of 29. That verse says, for those who are called according to his purpose. And then 29, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So here's the lesson. The good that God intends to do through us in the difficult circumstances of our lives is to make us more into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. That's what God wants to do more than anything else for us to become more and more like Jesus. I want to speak to some of you this morning. You're going through a hard time right now. Listen, God has a purpose in that. That purpose is to make you more like Jesus Christ 
each day. To draw you closer to Him and to lead you to become more dependent upon Him. In the time we have remaining, let me share how we can let hard times lead our heart to trust in God. Okay, Three personal applications. Number one, put yourself in God's hands and be sure to do it completely. There's a science fiction movie called Contact. It stars uh, Jodie Foster. It's about a scientist searching for extraterrestrial intelligence who is chosen to be the one to travel a vast distance across the universe to make first contact with extraterrestrial beings. To make this possible, the aliens provided detailed instructions for building a pod that would safely carry her from this world to their world. In a very uh, impactful scene, Dr. Eleanor Arroway, Ellie, played by Jodie Foster, is placed in the pod which travels into a wormhole and goes off to an unknown world. Blogger Lou Perez makes this observation about what happens. The aliens did not design a chair for the pod, so to be safe, Earth, Earth's engineers installed one. During one of the most intense moments of her drop, the pod began shaking uncontrollably with Dr. Airway strapped in and holding on for her life. She looks in front of her and she sees her medallion floating off her neck, hovering effortlessly in front of her. The suspended medallion was the only thing that was not nailed down in that pod. She made the connection and she unbuckled from her seat and she became light as a feather. The intense agitation stopped in her body and then she was amazed to watch as that chair continued to shake violently and ultimately go against the ceiling which would have meant her death had she not followed what the design of the aliens had made. So here's the application. Dr. Arroway had willingly placed herself in the hands of superior beings, but not completely. On at least one important point, she and her fellow scientists thought they knew better. And it could have easily meant her death had she not come to her senses and surrendered herself, yielded herself completely to the designer's plants. Isn't that what we do so often? Think about it. We put ourselves in God's hands, but not completely. When God's instructions don't make sense to us or we don't know how they're going to work, we try to find a way to get around what God has told us to do despite the specific plans he's given us. So set aside all thoughts of redesigning God's plans for your life and simply submit yourself totally to what he would have you to do. Psalm 55, 22 says, Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Now here's a second application. Your trials are a reason to rejoice as they show God is making you into all he wants you to be. This is how we're to evaluate the trials and the storms and the issues that are so challenging in our life. Let's see them as a place to rejoice. We look at our trials that seem to overwhelm us and we see them for what they are. They are tangible evidence that God is working in our life to make us who he wants us to be. 
during our church planning days, times had gotten tough, and, and God used those tough times to draw us closer to Him. I remember one time in particular, we didn't know how we were going to pay our bills, our personal bills, much less our church bills. And I was invited to speak at a church on a Sunday evening where I had served as youth pastor in seminary. And they took up a love offering that came out to equal the exact amount of what our bills were, and we were able to pay them. Now, you might be tempted to think that the miracle was the offering that the church took up. And surely that was a miracle. But it wasn't the money that stood out to me and taught me a lesson. The miracle was that my family and I had been able to learn to trust God the way Jesus trusted God. God used those hard times to conform us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. It's similar to how our church trusted God when he was leading us to renovate our youth and children wings of our church. I mean, we didn't know how he was going to provide the funds, but God knew. We were in the midst of COVID, and we were like, do we continue to do the renovations, or do we put them on hold? And now, as Pastor Craig said, on Easter, we're opening up our children's wing debt-free. Because you see, the issue was not about the money. It was about following the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's always about following the Holy Spirit in our lives. Whether it's individually, as a family, as a church, as a nation, we do what God leads us to do. So my question to you is this. What is your excuse for not following the Holy Spirit of God in your life? Are you too busy to hear from Him? Are you, are you of this belief the Holy Spirit doesn't move the same way as He moved in biblical days? Listen, the same Holy Spirit who moved in Moses and Aaron's life is the ha same Holy Spirit who moves in our lives today. The same Holy Spirit who moved then moves now. The question is not, does he move? The question is, are we hearing from him? Are we listening to him? Are we obeying him? Or have you filled your life so much with things you've lost consciousness of his presence? Oh, you know he's there, but you don't really sense his presence. You know facts about the Bible. You know theological truths, but you don't really have that connection to God. Act today. To trust in Him, either for the first time in salvation or for another time in rededication and recommitment while you still have opportunity. Psalm 73, 28. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. A third and final personal application is this. God has a waiting room and time spent in it is not wasted. As we arrived in the emergency room in Rocky Mount, North Carolina, in rather frantic fashion, Melody and I shared our concerns with the lady behind the desk. She didn't, be, she didn't seem to be as concerned as we were. <laughs> she didn't seem to share our concern as she matter-of-factly handed us some forms to fill out. Melody and I hastily answered a host of what I considered very unimportant questions at the time. And when we handed the papers back I heard these words please have a seat we'll be with you as soon as we can now I may know how to preach on the book of Job most pastors I know struggle with putting the patience of Job at work in their lives did she not understand this was our child Caroline 
Did the lady not care that Caroline had just fallen in the Home Depot and hit her head on the concrete floor? Did she not care that Caroline was crying and scared? Did she not care? I mean, you get the picture, okay? The issue was not about caring. It was about urgency. A word that she and I would have defined differently at the time. So ultimately, Melody and I sat there, and we waited, and they got to us as soon as they could, which was probably about five minutes, but it seemed like five hours. Our daughter was fine. No concussion, just a a bump on her head. It's not all that hard to look back on our lives and see God's perfect timing. It's much more difficult, however, to look at your present crisis and see the experience you're going through and know that God's timing is perfect. But I've learned through the years and reading God's Word more and more that it is for our own benefit that God puts us in a waiting room for us to spend time in it. It doesn't mean that God doesn't care It doesn't mean that God doesn't want to respond. It doesn't mean he's making us wait there because he's punishing us. No, he's making us wait there because that's where we need to be at the time we're going through the struggle. I'm reminded far too often that there are a lot of things I stress over, I worry over. All the while, God is saying, I'll be with you. Not as soon as I can, but as soon as you need me to be. His timing is always right, and he will get to us when we need him to. Psalm 62, 5, for God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. What purpose does all this suffering serve? Why does the Lord either cause or at least allow suffering in our, in our lives? It's because he wants us to. To be liberated from the imprisonment of bondage to sin and Satan in order that we might give him glory and serve our risen Savior. Ellie Wiesel, in his book Night, describes a time when the concentration camp he was in was being bombed. Although the bombs could have meant death to the prisoners, the camp was filled with hope. Vazil writes, we were not afraid, and yet if bombs had fallen in the wrong places at the wrong time, it alone would have claimed hundreds of lives on the spot. But we were no longer afraid of death. At any rate, death at that time. Every bomb that exploded filled us with hope and gave us new confidence in life. Because the bombs were coming from the allied forces, and they represented life not death. I think that's a great illustration, word picture of the trials and the problems and the suffering we all go through. The bombs in our lives are meant to bring us hope and life and not death. And if this is what the Lord is doing, making me uncomfortable, making me squirm, making me have questions, then that's okay as long as it draws me closer in my relationship with Christ. That's what it's all about. Let that be our attitude toward all of life's experiences, the good and the bad. Count it all joy that you have confidence in Christ. Thank you for listening to this podcast. 
For more information about our church, visit welfarechurch.org. Blessings.